What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 92 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today is no exception on meeting with great leaders. Today, I get to sit down with somebody who I would classify in the category of a friend. She's also a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's been counseling full-time in private practice since 1984 and is absolutely one of the best at what she does. But more than that, she has an incredible story, a story of resilience, a story of overcoming, a story of adversity, and a story of Christ, and a story of breakthroughs. Her name is Dr. Diane Pierce. She leads the Legacy Counseling Group, the Legacy Strategy in Kennesaw, Georgia. But more than that, she is an amazing, amazing person. So today, you are in for a treat. So I want you to pull up a chair. And I want you to listen in to my conversation with my good friend, Dr. Diane Pierce. Dr. Di, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It means the world to have you. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. This is exciting. You know, I've had the blessing and privilege of knowing you guys really since the early 1990s, back in my student ministry days, when I met y'all. Share with everybody a little bit about your family and what you now do for a living. Well, Mike, I'm the clinical director at Legacy Strategy, and I have been a marriage and family therapist now since... Um, Oh, gosh, the early 80s. <laughs> Some sort of dating myself there. Um, but in a full-time private practice, um, but always worked for someone else until about 15 years ago, started my own practice as a result of different circumstances. And right before that, um, in the early 90s, my husband and I had lived in South Florida, and we had family that lived up where we're at now, which is Kennesaw, Georgia. and um, we came to visit them and went to church with them, which happened to be North Star Church, <laughs> and which you are the pastor. And we met uh, the founding pastor and met you on a visit. And God began opening some doors for us and giving us some very specific direction on following what his plan was that we really didn't know anything about. But we very much felt a prompting by God that we should listen and relocate our family from West Palm Beach, Florida, up to Kennesaw, Georgia, which we did and joined North Star Church uh, as soon as we moved and began working for a local counseling company at the time and had a great mentor there at that counseling company. And I had come from a great uh, private practice in South Florida and had a great mentor there as well. And that man is still my mentor today. Um, 
But yeah, so our journey, when you and I met, we had just relocated from West Palm up to Kennesaw, Georgia. You know, and I know not only do you do your private practice right before we went on, we were talking about a lot of the work you do with Liberty Online as a as an adjunct professor in Richmond. I know what is it about the next generation and pouring into these young men and women that many of them are choosing the career path that you've chosen? What is it about that that keeps you wanting to be involved in their lives? Well, Mike, one of the things that God has impressed upon me over the years, especially probably in the last 20, 25 years and working with people is that there is definitely a ripple effect of when we pour ourselves into others, when we help equip others who are at a different place in life than we are to kind of stop and be present with them and encouraging them, affirming them and looking for the good in them. And when a person is able to receive that affirmation and knowing that somebody can see the good in them, it can be very inspiring to them. And I think it really is a tool that God can use in the lives of folks where he puts a calling upon their life to help other people. And that couldn't be possible if, if I wouldn't be where I'm at today, if I had not had mentors that saw potential in me and affirmed me. And so when I see a younger person than myself come into my industry, and sometimes it's students um, in my online classroom, sometimes it's students, that are master's students um, uh, in real life classroom. Um, and then sometimes it's just people that I come across, colleagues, and those seeking out clinical supervision in my industry. And when I see them kind of struggling and they're trying to get their a handle, so to speak, on the skills that they need and what they feel God's called them to do, when you stop and you join with them and you begin to affirm the potential that you see in them, they begin to relax and they become more open. And then there is this teachable spirit and this beautiful thing that I see that happens within the younger generation where they just want someone to give them some guidance, but they want it to come from someone that they feel safe with. Mm. And that is something for me that it energizes me actually. Um, and when I love surrounding myself with people that are younger than myself, I have some mentors in my life that are older than I am and they have gone before me and experienced more things. And I try to lean on their wisdom but then in the everyday, I like to surround myself with folks that are younger than me and that are at a different place in life than I am. And I like to try to see them from God's perspective. And it's really exciting when you start to pray for a person that you see that is struggling or that you see that is trying to find their way and they're trying to find their path. And when you begin to pour into them and pray for them, they sense that there is a supernatural event that starts to happen and you can feel it if you're looking for it. You can see it. And when they start to come to you and they start to ask questions that are deeper thought questions, it's very exciting to see the growth that can happen as a result of that. And I, I love that. And I love not only the generation you're pouring into, and I want to I want to dig in on that here in a second, but I love here you are super established in your career incredible practice, 
Um, I've watched you up close. Gosh, y'all were in our offices for years. So we got to run into each other every day for a couple of years. And, right. and here you are super, super uh, dug in where you're at in your career. But yet you said, I still have a mentor. Talk to me a why. Talk to me about why even where you're at in really the height of your career that you still meet a mentor. Why, why would that be the case? Well, I tell you what, Mike, I found when I was in my uh, 20s, I found myself in a place where I was pretty much afraid of failure at every turn. And then I got into my 30s and, and I, looking back on it, I realized I had a bit of arrogance about me, <laughs> probably, because I realized that I had a skill. And I realized God was using that skill. I didn't know it at the time, of course, that I had a sort of an arrogant attitude, but it did come out at times. And God quickly brought into my life some circumstances that showed me that I wasn't as in control as I thought I was. Mm. And it was at that time, I still had my mentors, my probably my oldest, most longstanding mentor, I met in 78. So I was 18 at the time. And he... um his name is Dan and he's in South Florida. He is also a marriage and family therapist and still practices today. Uh, very limited. <laughs> um, so, you know, he gets to kind of pace himself and enjoy the process much more than probably the rest <laughs> of us do, but he has just been a gem in my life and God has used him to affirm me. Yes. And create that safe place, but also to challenge me. Mm. And it was him that his influence in my life, him and a, another a colleague of his, Linda, Dr. Linda Fuhrer, um, I'll never forget one time, Mike, I think I was in my 30s, and she said to me one day, I, I, I sort of had an edge about me at times, and, and I can be very direct as a person, that's just part of my personality. And she said to me one time, Diane, if you don't get rid of that chip on your shoulder, somebody might just come along and knock it off. Mm. To which I was very offended <laughs> by it <laughs> at first. And then God started working mm. along with her influence and Dan's influence. And I realized that um, God does not call us to be self-reliant. He calls us to be reliant upon him. Mm. And he uses people in our life to mold us, to sharpen us, to make us better, and to show us what we cannot see in our current circumstance. And her words have left a life, has, they've had a lifelong impact on me. And Dan's influence over the years, I just talked to him last night on the phone about some things, and his influence, he's just a trusted advisor. Because when we are in our current circumstances, you've heard the phrase, you can't see the forest for the trees. You don't know how big it is when you're in it because you're up close and it's personal. And I'm no exception to that. You know, I've been practicing now for 36 years, but that does not mean that I have objectivity when it comes to my circumstances, because that would be impossible. What would you say to somebody that's there in the, there where you are? They've been in their career 30 plus years. They've really gotten their heels dug in there. People would look at them and go, wow, they've, they've made it. What would you tell them as an encouragement of why they need someone in front of them and, and somebody they're pouring into coming behind them? What would you say to somebody like that? Well, I think it, for me, I can tell you what works for me is that I, 
need to be reminded not to be completely self-sufficient. I need someone that in a loving manner will encourage me and help me to think about the big picture. Um, And so that I don't get too self-focused and as I said before, self-reliant and it, God has a way of working on our hearts and keep us continuing to grow and be in a humble place. Just because someone has accomplished a great deal in their industry does not mean that they are going to be a wise person for me to listen to. The condition of the heart is what I'm going to look for. Mm. And the people that God has put in my life as mentors, their heart condition before God, they are humble people but they are skilled people. So I respect their skill, but more than that, I respect the condition of their heart. That is so good, man. That's something I think we all need to hear, you know, and I don't think any of us ever think that we would be the person that thinks, Oh, I've got all the answers, but I think we all can lean that way because it's easier. And it didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't take any work. And we're yeah. not asking anybody if we have all the answers. We just think we have all the answers. And that is, that is a great way to say that. If I could rewind time, I didn't get to know you when you were a little girl growing up. If I had shown you at the age of eight or nine who you are today, would you have even thought that would be a possibility? <laughs> not in a million years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Mike, as you know, As a kid, I basically grew up in and out of the system, in and out of the what is known today as the foster care system. Um, And so, you know, my goal in life, um, when I hit adolescence, my goal in life was to live to be 18 so that I could graduate high school. That was my goal in life because of the trauma that I had experienced as a child. And so, you know, I really didn't have those mentors as a child. As a very young child, I had some family members that invested in me, um, and I have found out in later years they invested in me, but then um, we were removed from the home that we were in at the time, my sister and I, and we got put in the system and then got split up at five. And so when I became an adolescent, when your goal in life is to just live to the next day or live to graduation, you don't think much past that. You're thinking about the next day. At that point in my life, I was thinking about the next meal. Um, So I had been through a series of circumstances that had gotten me to a point where I was a trauma survivor. Hmm. And trauma survivors really don't think long-term. They think more day-to-day. What changed? How, 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 And I think everybody, I think we all know change only happens when you hit rock bottom and when you, when you find out there's nowhere else to go, but up, how did that change? How did you, and I think your book title is misfit to masterpiece and it's such a great title. How did you go from being who you were then with, with nothing around you? How did you begin to make that change? Well, Mike, first, there were, there was basically a two-step process. And the first step was somebody stopped and paid attention to me and saw the hurt that I was in. And they told me the story of God's love for me. 
And that was the beginning of me having hope for anything past the present day Mm. or tomorrow. Because at that time in my life, uh, my focus was where was my next meal coming from? And so when your main focus is that, you're not really thinking much in terms of the future. And so when that young girl, her name was Leah, and she stopped me on the way to getting on the buses at school. Um, and she said to me, um, she called me by name and, and she just said, you know, I know no one likes you around here. And I know when every, everyone thinks you're a bit strange, to which I said to her, yeah, they do. And they're going to think you're strange if you keep talking to me. Mm. And she looked at me and she said, I don't care. What I care about is I want you to know somebody does love you. Even though these people here don't care about you, there is someone that loved you enough to give their son's life for you. And she began to tell me the salvation story and why I had the love of Jesus. All I had to do was to believe it and accept it. And that was a turning point for me. I accepted Christ as my savior that day. And that was in 1975. And so as a 15-year-old girl, the ironic thing is I had actually had a plan to take my own life that day. That girl did not know that, but God did. And God intervened in a way that only God could intervene. And so from that day forward, I began having hope. And my first goal was to graduate high school. And I'll never forget it. Many times I would pray and I would ask God, just help me to live long enough to graduate high school. And so remember, I said there were two parts. (laughs) The first part was I had to accept that God truly loved me. And I had to believe that in my heart. And so once I took that step, I had hope for something else besides just the next meal. And so the second part of that transformation was somebody has to come along and be willing to be used to pour into you. And that is not in our control. That's the interesting thing, Mike. We, mm-hmm. we can't control that. We can't manufacture that, though we may try. Only God can create that. Only God can prompt people to take action. And so my first mentor was Paul Weingartner, and he and his family invited me to join their family at the age of 16 and live with them. When, again, I left, I I wasn't removed that time from that home, but I left that home and became a runaway. Um, And God worked out the circumstances to place me in the home of this family that took me in as their own and treated me well, taught me about God's love, taught me how to love others and how to receive love, which is key. And so that was my first um, longstanding mentor. He's, he's no longer with us. He's in heaven. And um, his influence began a series of changes in my life, and which led me to other mentors, my mentor, Dan in South Florida, and other ones. And without those mentors, I would not be where I am today. Mm. It would have been impossible. When she said that that day, when Mm -hmm. she said, I don't care what anybody else thinks, I want you to know what happened in your heart Mm -hmm. 
when you heard those words? Because I know they were unexpected. You had all you had already tried to push her away and give her out. When when she said that, what began to happen inside you? On the inside, Mike, I I had a lot of fear at the time. I was afraid of most people, but I had a warmth that started to spread in my heart that most people would not understand unless they've experienced it themselves. But that love, her words felt like they were something I could hold on to, that they were truth. Mm. And they gave me a hope and a reason to not take my life that day. And so, you know, when you hear hope like that and you're not accustomed to hearing it, your heart begins to open up a little bit. And I began to feel a sense of courage that I had never felt before. And the only, the best way that I have to describe it is I felt like I had the presence of angels around me. Not any angels I could see with my eyes, <laughs> mm. just the, the, a strength and a calmness and a confidence. And I got on the bus that day and normally I did not sit in the seats of the bus um, because the other kids, the other students did not want me sitting with them. And so my place on the bus was to sit on the, the steps going into the bus. That was just my place. Everybody knew it. The bus driver accepted it. And that's, and I accepted it. I never fought against it. That was the first day that I sat on a seat with the other students And as they came on the bus and told me I wasn't in my right place and I should be sitting on those steps because I did not deserve to sit on a seat with the rest of them, I just looked at them and smiled because I felt this strength and this confidence that if they were good enough for these seats, Mm -hmm. then I was good enough for these seats. And the reason for that is because somebody loved me, Mm. was God. So there's, there's no question that it was a divine intervention. There, there's just no question about it. When somebody finds hope, and I want to, I want to sit on that for a second, because that's a powerful word. When, before you know Christ, it's powerful. After you know Christ, it's yes. powerful. Even today in your practice, when, when somebody can get hope, they can make it through. When, when they find out that, you know, life is more than just what you see, that there is a bigger hope out there. What can hope even do today in people's lives, Dr. Dye? Well, I think what hope does is it opens up the heart to enable it to release fear. Mm. And instead of operating out of a place of fear, we operate more out of a place of it's unknown for the future, but there's a vision for the future. Even though we may not know exactly how it's going to play out, what it's going to look like, I would have never dreamt in a million years what my future would have turned out to be. All I knew is that there was a future and that it was good. Because the other the other thing that that young girl did, that young student did for me is that she encouraged me to read the Bible. Because that's where it tells us about God's love. And so I went home and I dug through the the family books until I found a Bible. 
old King James Bible. <laughs> didn't understand half of what I read. <laughs> Probably more than half. I did not understand what I read. But I began searching it and I began believing the words that I read. And they are powerful. Even though we may not always understand their context or the words, God's word does not return mm, void. That's good. And I did not know that at the age of 15 when I started reading the Bible. But I can tell you, his words did not return void, and they were more powerful than I could have ever imagined. As you moved into that home with the wine garners, is, is that where you began to see, I can do more than just graduate high school? I can do more than just survive to my next meal and the next day? Is that where they began to pour gas on God's word? Talk to me a little bit about what happened in that home that was so catalytic for you. Well, I will tell you, the, the first step was them helping me to learn that it was okay and I could relax because no one was going to hurt me there. Wow. And that was the first home that I remember as a child feeling like it was safe to sleep and not be afraid of what's going to happen in the morning. And it was safe to eat the meal that's sitting in front of me and eat just what I need right now because there will be another meal in four hours or tomorrow morning there will be another meal and there's no fear. So as they taught me to not live in fear and to be willing to accept love, one of the, the verses that my um, that Mrs. Weingartner began to teach me was Romans 8, 28 that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. To which I did a lot of battling on that (laughs) with her. And we spent many a night staying up late. Bless that woman's heart. She would hold my hand. She would pat my hand and she would tell me repeatedly. She would tell me, Yes, all things means even abuse. Mm. All things means even abandonment, neglect. Things that most of us don't even want to think about that happens in homes with children that are helpless. All things can work together for good, for a divinely appointed purpose. Now, at the age of 16, at that time, I was 16 by then, and at that age, I didn't know what the term divine appointed purpose. I didn't know what any of that meant, but I began to memorize that verse and I began to apply it to every emotion I had because they were teaching me how to apply it. And I began to pray it. Every time I had a doubt, I would bring up that scripture and I would pray that scripture back to God. Show me how this works for my good and for your purpose for me. And that second part is really, really key. Um, Once I graduated high school and I had a few folks that came to, to that set of parents and told them that I probably would not graduate high school because I was so far behind academically. But as it turns out, I did graduate and I graduated on time. Um, So that was probably the first um, academic victory. I didn't know it at the time, but I did have a learning disability. 
uh, probably induced by the trauma. Um, but so I had a lot of challenges ahead of me and, and just wasn't aware of it. Once I graduated high school, and that's when Mr. Weingartner started talking to me about the next steps. And it had never occurred to me that there's a next step after mm. high school. It just hadn't occurred to me. And so he would use that second half of that verse. What is God's purpose for you? Why would God allow you? Why would he choose you to be born into the family that you were born into? I was the oldest of 10, all of which all 10 children were put into the system eventually. And so why you? Why weren't you born into our family? There had to be, has to be a reason because God is all powerful. Mm. And nobody wants to think that that was God's will for, for any child to go through any kind of abuse. Nobody wants to think that. But what we have to remember is that there are things in life that are hard and there is nothing about me or you, Mike, that causes us or gives us a right to think that we are omitted from hard things happening to us. So we have to eventually get to the place where we are willing, out of faith, to say, why not me? Mm. There is nothing that entitles me to not have bad things happen to me. Some of that is just life. But what God tells us in his word, if you look at Genesis 50, 20, I, I kind of call it, I kind of refer to it as, as uh, instead of 2020 vision, it's 50, 20 vision. Mm -hmm. But he reminds us, just as he did with Joseph, what people and circumstances and what is evil may have been meant for evil. God promises to use it for good. But I do think it requires us to surrender to him fully in order for it to be used for good. And what that good looks like for you and what it looks like for me is very different. My calling is very different than your calling. Mm. So just because someone went through perhaps abuse as a child, it doesn't mean that they are called to become a counselor. Okay. Everyone's um, skill set is different and what they've been exposed to is different, but all of us have to be willing to take charge of the results of whatever our hardship has been. We have to be willing to take charge of those results, resolve the origin of whatever our pain is. And if we are willing to resolve that origin, God is faithful to do the rest and to show us and guide us onto the path that he has chosen for us and the purpose that he has designed us for. It, and that's a big piece because it's more than just overcoming your circumstances. I mean, it's more than just oh, yes. overcoming a bad, it, you are, living for something you believe there's something bigger at work in you if you didn't have your faith in this do you think you would be as healthy as you are looking back at what you went through well first of all no I, I think that if I didn't have my faith you know I've had my mentors have told me I, I'm a <laughs> <laughs> I can be overbearingly tenacious, <laughs> but that enabled me to I've survive. never seen that, Dr. Dye. I, I didn't know that. I was, it's the first time I've ever heard that. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, and, you know, 
there's lots of different terms that come to mind that, that my mentors have used with me over the years. Um, but at best, without my faith, I think I would have probably turned out to be someone that was pretty cold-hearted and someone that was extremely self-reliant and unwilling to trust anyone. See, if you have a mentor in your life, you have to be willing to be vulnerable with them. And that requires trust. Mm. And I was taught at a very early age, people are not to be trusted. Wow. But God taught me to take a chance, Mm. to to use discernment, to use wisdom when choosing whom to trust. But we were not created to be isolated. We were created to lean on one another and make each other better, not in order to control or tweak each other, but to lean on one another so that we there might be a healthy dependence, but it's a higher dependence on God's plan for that than it is on one another. You Have you ever been sitting there in a session with somebody and they say something and you know your experience has brought you through exactly where they're at. Have you ever been sitting there and gone, okay, God, I get it. I, I understand now. I, I I don't understand all your purpose. I'm living it out as I go, but I get it that you didn't waste my time, that you didn't waste my experiences. Has that ever hit you before when you're in a session? More times than I can count, Mm. more times than I can count. And oftentimes what that results in is my heart breaks for where that person is at. But if they continue to desire to grow and they continue to become more self-aware and take ownership of their own processing of their hurt, it encourages me. And it, it, the term that always comes to my mind when I'm in those circumstances is this is a privilege to sit this close to the change and sort of a metamorphosis that's happening in this person's heart. I, I that the phrase that comes to my mind is where angels fear to tread because it feels like you are so close right. to that person's soul and who they are deep within their soul. It, it takes a lot of time to get to that place. But once you are there, you can't, you can, you know, we have to recognize we are not in control at that moment. Mm. We have to be listening to God's voice because he's the one that created the soul. And it's his purpose. And it's because of him that I'm that close and in that situation. And so, boy, you better believe I best be listening to him. That's right. It's sort of scary not to. That's, that's so true. You, you've mentioned a word just throughout today. It's come up a couple of times, the word fear. You, know, you experienced fear, I'm sure, many, many, many times, probably more times than you can count as a little girl. But but you grow up and you find Jesus and you meet an amazing husband and you grow up with an amazing family. Fear doesn't just disappear. Fear doesn't go away. Why is fear why is it used against us in our lives by the enemy um, as you've worked with so many people through the years and even in your own journey, how have you watched people deal with fear? 
Well, I will tell you that my experience with fear in the lives of others and in my own life, not just in the past, but even in present day, because fear is something that the enemy will try, probably try to use with me until I'm in heaven. Mm. Um, but one of the things that I've, I've noticed that is consistent throughout, regardless of the source of the fear or where the fear comes from, is that fear causes a paralysis. Mm. It causes us to stand still. And I think the reason the enemy wants to use fear is because he does not want us moving forward. He does not want growth. He wants us to be self-focused, living in our head, and consumed with self. Because then we have a much less chance of influencing others for good. And so that's why I think, you know, fear, for me, fear has served to deepen my dependence on God. Because when I speak the fear out loud to God, it loses much of its power. I want to talk about that. And I love that thought. I heard somebody talk about that a couple of years ago. What happens when we speak that fear out? When we bring it out in the open, it's sitting there and, and maybe it's a guy right now and he's riding into work and he's me, he's 51 years old and he's, you know, nobody thinks they have the fears they have and we have the fears we have. What happens when we begin to speak those fears out? Why is that such a powerful tool? Well, we're, we're bringing it out of hiding. Mm. And when things, are, when things are hidden, they tend to grow, mm. right? And you look at that with any, um, with any sin, whether it is a sin of um, uh, jealousy or it's lust or it's uh, bitterness, when you hide it and you keep it contained within your own heart and mind, it continues to grow. It festers. It spreads. It'll spread from one area of your life into another area of your life. And as soon as you expose it to God, it loses its, its momentum in the growth. And as it loses that momentum, what happens is there's a relief that we feel because we've been honest about it first of all, with God, and then with those that we trust in our inner circle. And when we are honest about that, all of a sudden, we begin to see it through a different lens. And we begin to see it from a more realistic and objective perspective. And that, Mike, is why we need each other That's to right. speak truth into one another's hearts. That's so true. That is so true. You know, you've been practicing Dr. Dye for 30 plus years. What's changed about people over those years? Have you noticed a change in what you're seeing walking in your door now than what you saw walking in your door 30 plus years ago? I think the way that if you take fear, for example, I think the way it gets manifested has changed over mm -hmm. the years, but at the core, it's pretty much the same Wow! because the human condition Sure. We all have something. We all have a baggage. And it doesn't matter how well adjusted the home was that you grew up in and how, how deeply loved you were as a child or not. Um, everybody's got some level of baggage if you're human. It's just, it's right. just <laughs> And if they don't, their, their baggage is they lie because they have baggage, right? They got <laughs> baggage. <laughs> One That's <of the> right. <laughs> 
so, you know, some of us like me, we have a little bit, you know, we start out with a little extra and then we go into adult life and we create even more of our mm. own baggage mm. because of our choices. Right? right. And oftentimes those choices get influenced by us being overly self focused. And as we become overly self-focused, we begin to claim our rights, hold on to our rights. And we feel very entitled to demand that we have, that we have these rights, that we have these needs and they should be met. So we, we kind of get into that place that, you know, I'm owed this. I work hard and gosh, people owe me, which is what my mentor, Dr. Linda was was referring to with me. I felt like, you know, I, I'd been through a lot in life and the world kind of owed me. And she and I kind of hashed that out. And, and, and she said to me, she said, you know, I know you've been through a lot, but, and more than most people your age, but the bottom line is nobody owes you anything. Mm. No one owes you anything. What you have to figure out is what, how do you want God to use what you've been through? Do you want to learn from it? Do you want to take responsibility for that entitlement that you have right there? That sense of entitlement and like I'm owed. And those were hard words to hear. I'm not going to lie, but they changed my life. They created a, a shift of perspective for me. And instead of seeing myself as a victim I began to see that I have a choice about how I respond to the things that have occurred to me, things that others have done that I did not do anything to warrant. Right. That's right. And then there are those difficult circumstances that we all can get into. Maybe we overspend money or, or um, we have a loose tongue or, you know, we speak ill of somebody else when we shouldn't. And so we have consequences for those things. And so we all have to recognize that we are human. We are going to make mistakes. And guess what? The people that hurt me with the most severity, that has caused the most severe hurt within me, they were human and they were hurt by someone too. Mm, mm. People with unresolved hurt wind up hurting others. Oftentimes they do not mean to. It is not their intention. And when I get to the place in my life where I'm able to recognize, okay, maybe this wasn't intentional, then I can extend a little grace. It enables me to forgive. And, you know, when we are willing to accept forgiveness and a great deal of, and we accept a great deal of grace and mercy, it frees us up to extend grace and mercy to those around us. Your, your book title misfit to masterpiece before Diane Pierce ever walked the halls of a high school or a college, God had a plan for you. And he had a masterpiece that he wanted to paint with your life. What do you think is the masterpiece he created you for living out your, your, your lows that we've been through and the highs that you've been through. When you look back on your life, what do you think he created you for? And what do you think was the look of that masterpiece? Well, I, first of all, I want to say, I, I believe that God created each of us to be a masterpiece Amen. and there aren't duplicate masterpieces. 
each masterpiece is unique on its own. And I know that for me, one of the things he has used me for, one of the purposes is to be able to find hope when others can't seem to find it. And that's, you know, I mentioned before about me being tenacious. That's one of those, um, one of the perks of having that tenacity is that I spend a great deal of time listening and putting pieces together. It's, it's like putting a jigsaw puzzle together when you listen to a person's story and how they got to where they're at and to begin to look for what is the possible divine appointment for this person's journey. And for me, I never knew what that was. And I, I really wasn't thinking that long term when I was going through my own transformation process. But I can tell you that God has a plan for every hurt. For me, he had a plan for every hurt that I have been through. But it required me to begin to trust him what the plan was, even though he had not shown me what it was yet. Mm. And I began to thank him for a plan that I could not see, did not know what it was, did not know where it was going to end up. I began to thank him because I believed his love for me was deep enough that he had a divine appointment. He had a purpose for every one of those hurts, and it was to help others. And that has been my divine appointment was to help others, to assist others in overcoming hurts that they have been through. When life is all said and done and you're at the end of your journey and you close your eyes here and you open your eyes there and you meet the Savior that you met at 15 in your heart by faith and you lay eyes on him and he begins to share with you about your life. What do you hope he says to you, Dr. Di? Mm. Diane, you've always been the apple of my eye. I always have been your Abba Father looking over you. And you belong to me. I know you've known it, but now you see it. You belong to me. And that's makes everything worth it. Mike makes everything worth it. I hope you enjoyed that time with Dr. Diane. What an incredible story. You know, I remember the very first time I heard that story and I was just overwhelmed and not to just know that she got through what she went through, but how she has turned that around to help others get through what they're going through. Thank you so much, Dr. Die for being my guest today. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us because we are all better for it. You know, if you enjoy this podcast, you could do us a huge favor by doing two things. One is going to iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you watch and listen to this podcast and leave a review because every time you do, it helps others find their way to us. You can leave a rating and review there. Second thing to do is to subscribe. You don't want to miss 
an episode because every time there's something good for all of us. And I hope you'll be a subscriber so you never miss anything we've got coming out. We've got some fun ones coming up. Well, episode 93, I got to sit down with a gentleman that I have watched from a distance since I was a young man. And I remember him speaking to my church when I was a teenager, and I have watched him lead for years. He is still involved in leadership for students with Student Leadership University. His name is Dr. Jay Strack. It is going to be fun. It is going to be enlightening, but it's also going to be inspiring. Thanks again for listening today. And my prayer for you is that you'll go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.